I'm curious about, uh, if you'll pardon it in this way, your level of sophistication as you read now. Because my sense is, you know an awful lot of stuff. You've been here for regular time. A lot of you have been upstairs. You read your Bibles on your own. You read a lot of other stuff. You live in a fairly church community. Um, so my, but my curiosity now is, if you just picked up a text and started to read it, I just wonder uh, how much extra stuff comes to you. There's, there's sort of a range of reading, like a newer person or somebody who's not a Christian picks up, and they, they get some stuff and they don't get some stuff. And I often get calls from people who stumble across a particular passage and they can't, they can't a particular passage, and they, I just can't believe that's in the scriptures. Um, you know, in fact, I have a phone call like that today I need to return. I can't believe this in the scriptures. What in the world does that mean? That's one kind of question. Um, another question is when people um, kind of only see the smaller bits, but they don't read it within the context of the whole story. You've been kind of exposed to the whole story for a while now. So my question is when you read this, this will be where, I, where I'm looking for. My question is when you read, you know, what do you see or what do you hear? What, what, what emerges against the context of the whole scripture? And then the second question would be, how do you see that in a very practical way? Because I, I read the text in a particular way, but I've, I've read the text, like many of you, you know, so many times that I don't even know sometimes what it's like to have read the text for the first time. And that's always a struggle to read it for the first time. But you're sophisticated. You read it for the first time again. So, so here's what I'm curious about. What are you reading? What do you hear? When you, when you hear these words, what do you hear? And then what's the practical implication? And I'm very curious about what that might be. One of the gentlest um, places to do that is First John. It's a very uh, kind, kind of loving middle of the winter. It's cold outside. The sky's been gray for 42 of the last 47 days. But the Lord still loves you. and uh, So it's just a very gentle text. If you don't know where it is, go with your next-door neighbor. But if you just went to the end of your Bible and then you uh, came back into the text about you know, three-eighths of an inch, you'd be there. First, second, third John, Jude, Revelation is how the scriptures end, okay? So let's just, let's just read this. And I'm going to read, um, I've got a Greek text on the computer because you'll ask me stuff that I won't be able to remember off the top of my head. So that's okay. But I'm going to read to you, again, I'm going to read to you from what I think is a very generous and kind of kind translation. I'm reading you this because sometimes reading a different translation, one is it's just gorgeous. I mean, the, the British have a way of speaking English that we don't always appreciate. The Book of Common Prayer, for example, has this glorious Shakespearean sort of way. The colics in the Book of Common Prayer, they're just spectacular in terms of how, they, how, they, how you hear and you know, the way the words are put together. Um, sometimes that comes in a text too. And also, if you hear the text in a different way, uh, maybe than you're used to. So for example, I grew up with the Revised Standard Version. Who grew up with that? Anybody else grew up with that? If you're over my age, you grew up with that. Younger than me, you grew up with a New International Version. Um, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, but you hear it in a particular way. So sometimes to kind, of, to kind of jog you out of that to read a different text. So you can read along or you can just listen. It's your choice. I'm going to just read um, you know, four or five or six verses or so and we'll see where this goes. So, but just, just think about this. I'll just, just think about this in terms of, and you should say to yourself, what in the world is he saying? Now you should know this is John. Um, the evangelist. So this is the fourth gospel, the three letters, and Revelation. He's got some big play. Um, he's very theological. He's the one. He was exiled but not martyred. Remember, he lived to be an old man on the island of Patmos. Everybody else got killed, so he's the last guy standing. He has this long life. Um, he was very close to Jesus. In fact, in his own gospel, He's spoken about as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a way to talk about himself and that didn't draw attention to himself. Um, so it's it just you just have this, he doesn't seem to show a lot of the weaknesses that, that a Peter or uh, a Thomas might show that were so external. We don't have a picture of him. So you just have, you, what you have is this guy who lived a long, faithful life against very difficult circumstances. He wasn't killed, but he was exiled and that's nobody's idea of fun you know to put someplace in, it's like being in jail you know on an island as opposed to being in jail you're still you're still you're still not free but just listen to how uh, there's kind of an old man talking here but just listen to this hmm. it was there from the beginning we've heard it we've seen it with our own eyes we looked upon it and we felt it with our own hands 
and it was of this we tell. Our theme is the word of life. This life was made visible. We have seen it and bear our testimony. We here declare it to you, the eternal life which dwelt in the Father and which was made visible to us. What we have seen and heard we declare to you so that you and we together may share in a common life, that life which we share with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this in order that the joy of us all may be complete. Here is the message we heard from him and pass on to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to be sharing in his life while we walk in the dark, our words and our lives are a lie. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, then we shall share together a common life, and we are being cleansed from every sin by the blood of Jesus his Son. If we claim to be sinless, we're self-deceived and we're strangers to the truth. If we confess our sins, he is just and may be trusted to forgive our sins and cleanse us from every kind of wrong. But if we say we've never committed a sin, we make him out to be a liar, and then his word has no place in us. So that's just the first chapter, okay? That's just kind of the introduction. So kind of slowly and prayerfully, uh, and, I, and I kind of mean this slowly, let's just kind of start at the beginning. You know, what do you, what do you hear or what connections do you make? This is really an exercise in sort of connecting the dots. So kind of as you go down, you read through, what, what do you hear here? Go ahead. Don't be shy. Good. So now that's good. Um, so, okay, he's an eyewitness, which goes with what? what? What are the parts of being an eyewitness? He actually tells you what they are. What, what are the words that go with being an eye? Seeing, yeah, so seeing. Uh, good, so seeing. Good, yeah, no, seeing, hearing. Touching. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, okay, so seeing, hearing, touching, and that then goes to telling, because there is, and we're going to have to check this word. Uh, we'll check the Greek word about what the telling looks like here in a second. So you start with being an eyewitness, which involves, this is very important, touching tactile stuff, right? You have got to be stuff there for you to touch. See, and that's not um, like I see apparitions, it's like I see you, right? Okay. And hearing, so kind of whole person thing, and then that actually results in something. But let me back you up, see? Oh, go ahead, Donna. Good. Um, which Bible do you have? English. The New English Bible. New, New International, did you say? Oh, the English Standard, so it's brand new. Read the first line for me. So that's the newest, latest translation. And what does it say? This is verse 1. Interesting. I actually don't have that line in my Bible concerning the word of life. But I don't actually even have that, I don't even have that line in here. Wow. Yeah, concerning the word of life, or with regard to the word of life. Well, it's actually in the, um, it's in the, uh, no, it's in the, it's in the, uh, it's in the text. For some reason it's not, so it must have been a disputed thing, but it is concerning the word of life. It was actually more fun when it wasn't there, because it tells you too much. It was a little more of a guessing game. So hold on to that. Why is it not capitalized? I don't know. Somebody must have made a mistake. My text doesn't actually have it. Nope. The phrase isn't there. Yeah, so here's the thing you need to know. They're translating from a Greek text. I'm old. When I went through the seminary, it was Nestle Alan 26, um, which was the latest best test. They've gone through 27. I think they've gone through 28 now as the latest edition. 
And every time they try to look at all the texts and they say, I mean, you know this, right? You don't have the original text that the apostles wrote. So we don't have John's, we don't have copies. But we have incredibly good copies. So John, so here's what happens. This is just a little bit, this is kind of important for you to know. So Christ says to John, hey, write this down for me, would you? That's basically, an inspiration of scripture just simply means, in the easiest sense, it just means that what Jesus wanted written down, he got written down. That's in the simplest sense. That's all it means. It just means he got it written down. So gives it to John. We don't have that copy. What we do have is several copies of <coughs> varying age and accuracy. And there are people who spend their lives comparing the copies. So what will happen is... Um, so this book came in the 70s. Apparently what happened in the 70s, they got to John, I'm speculating, but this is normally how it works. So they got to John 1, and they got to this phrase, peri tu logu tes zoes, concerning the word of life. And, you know, maybe that was in this one, but it wasn't in this one or this one. And they said, you know what? These, this is... Um, these two are stronger, so we won't put it in. That's what happens. And that accounts for differences sometimes between scriptures. Now, here's the thing you do need to know. While there are lots of um, different copies, the copies are extraordinarily, extraordinarily similar. I should have brought a Greek New Testament down. The bottom half of a Greek New Testament is all footnotes, and it tells you exactly which copies have which things, and you have to be clever enough to know what where the copy came from, what year was written, who was behind it. Is a first century text better than a fourth century text? And there are rules like earliest is normally better, more difficult is normally better, because that means somebody didn't smooth it out later. You know, more challenging is normally better. This is very interesting science of how you get to the best text. But you should know that there's no doctrine of scripture where the primary texts disagree. So you might have little changes, like whether or not this is in my text or your text, but it actually, you have to hear this in the right way, it doesn't matter because uh, it doesn't change the sense of the text. Does that make sense? Okay. So you shouldn't panic if um, one text has another one, but you should ask yourself, why did that just happen? However, I want to, I and I just want to push you back a little bit. This kind of goes to the, I think you're better than you think you are. So here's the deal. Who can say for me... Um, John chapter 1, from by heart. Anybody can say this? How does John chapter 1 start? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Right? A little farther down. That's a little, you skipped a verse there. That which was made was not made without him who was. Okay. So if you look at John chapter 1, you can say that from Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without him was not anything made that was made. So he's been there from forever, and he's the agent of creation. You can almost recite that. Okay, now the same guy writes this text. Look at, listen how this starts. It was there from the beginning. I mean, this is how my text reads. It was there from the, what's just What's the first line of your text? Mine is, that which was there from the beginning. Actually, in some ways, I like this better. It was there from the beginning. Because the obvious question for you is, what was there from the beginning? Right, right, but, but it's kind of fun. I mean, if you just paused, if I said to you, Carol, it was there from the beginning. Well, you've, read one, you've read one line, and your question should be, what was there from the beginning? And then, of course, you say to yourself, what do you say to yourself? This was written by John, and the most important thing for John was, in the beginning was the word. This is why I'm not concerned, Donna, that's out of mind, because you actually know this. So it was there from the beginning. Now, the interesting thing about, you remember every Christmas, the National Geographic sponsor, some knucklehead, to come up with a new gospel that completely undoes, you know, the Christmas story, which then puts everybody into a panic. And my first two weeks in January, writing emails back to people saying, it's really okay, we knew that the gospel of Thomas was there. We just, you know, it didn't make it in. Well, here's the thing. It was there from the beginning. So something is there from the beginning. Now, what's the most important thing? When you read John's Gospel, John's Gospel, and I'm just asking, you don't have to look it up, you can if you want, but John's Gospel by memory, what's the most important thing that happens in the first chapter of John? It's the Christmas story. So what's the most important thing that happens in that story? 
the incarnation. Thank you very much. The most important thing is that Jesus actually gets flesh and blood. The way you know he loves you is he, 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 he's like you. He thought enough of you to be you. He'll always be you. You'll be able to see him, and you'll be able to see that his eyes aren't blue. Okay? So uh, when you get to heaven, if you say, if that, is that Jesus? No, he's got blue eyes. You must want to go over to that line over there. Okay? He's a Jew of Jews. Um, I'm betting on brown. Okay, so here's the thing. It was there from the beginning. Now listen to this. We've heard it, which means what? You have to have a have a tongue if you've heard it. It. We've heard it. Whatever that it is. Just curious what actually that it is. Hold on. There you go. It just says it's just ho, oh, it's just what was there. It was go ahead. Right. Good. Um, cause it's because he's a Jew and Jews always say things a couple of times in a row. That's right. And so now what so he says, we've heard it. Yeah. Uh, it gets bigger, it kind of goes in a swirl. Okay. So in John's Gospel, for example, um, he tells the events out of order chronologically, but he tells them over and over again for impact. So late events happen first. Or in Revelation. People always make a big deal about what's happened in Revelation. Primarily what's happened in Revelation is they have the liturgy three times. That's what happened. You have other things going on like a lake of fire and things going on. That's not the big deal. The big deal is the elders are before the throne worshiping. Jesus has body and blood. He's the sacrifice of the lamb. So the heaven, heaven is a one long Lord's Supper. Hebrew, or you read the Psalms. You, know, you read the Psalms and they say, you know, those horrible enemies we have, the ones who came and you know smashed our children and tore down our walls and blah, you know they say it over and over. So it's an emphasis. It was there from the beginning. What was there? Well, we've heard it. He's got a tongue. We've seen it. It's stuff. That's actually kind of saying the same thing, right? So we've heard him. We've seen him. And then this great thing, and we felt it with our own hands. If I say felt it with your own hands, what story do you think of? Felt it with your own hands. If it's a Jesus story, Thomas. Yeah, you think of Thomas. This is post-resurrection. So he was there from the beginning, Christmas story. We saw him with our own eyes. Come, be, I'll make you fishers of men. You know, we heard it, his preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, preach the gospel. Yeah, but they killed him. We've touched it with our own hands. Now, why is this important? It's important so basically people don't think you're crazy. You're not making it up as you go along. It's objective, right? Anybody could have seen it. Anybody could have touched it. Anybody could have heard it. So what he's trying to tell you is this is the story of the universe. Go ahead. Question? Uh, in the beginning. So Genesis 1, in the beginning. John 1, in the beginning. 1 John 1, in the beginning. So there was, it's beginning big B. Could be, but you wouldn't be a very good Jew if it was a small beginning. Could be, which, is, which, would, be, which would be a good sermon for you to preach someday. Every, every layperson has one great sermon. That could be yours. So if you're a Jew and you hear in the beginning, if you're a pious Jew, you hear that. You hear Genesis 1 in the beginning. And that's John does that intentionally in his gospel, right? He starts in the beginning because he wants to say that this is just, it's a do-over. So there was creation. Everything got fouled up. John 1 is a do-over. This is the addendum. We're doing it over again. And here's the thing. He's going to talk all about how Christians love each other and how they do it. But he's, he wants to locate everything that's going to happen to you in the flesh and blood of Jesus. Okay, that's the point. You can see it. You can hear it. You can touch it. Because the, only th the thing that matters most in all your life is the flesh and blood of Jesus. That's all there is. That's why it's so difficult. You know, and you hear us kind of moan about this, but it's so difficult for us to understand Christians who are non-sacramental. I mean, over and over again, the only thing that matters is the flesh and blood of Jesus. If you can see it, if you can touch it, if you can hear it, it's real. And more than that, it's for your good. It's for your healing, and it draws you into a better life. And I actually want to talk about the better life, too, as we kind of get there. So you make, make sense? So when you're reading this, you should just say, and you can hear a second beginning. Of course you can hear that. Because it's the James text I read upstairs for devotions, which is everything comes down from the Father of lights as a good gift to Son Jesus Christ. You know, of course you can hear it as your beginning. But forget about any of you, forget about me. The most important thing is the objective thing. In the beginning 
was the Word, the Word was with God. In the beginning, you know, He was always there. We've heard it, we've looked on it. So in the beginning, Christmas too. Our theme, oh, actually, you know what? I lied about this text. <coughs> I, it, mine's just pushed into the transition between the, our theme, mine says, is the Word of Life. Yours says, according to or concerning the Word of Life. So I did have it in here. All right. You okay with that? Okay, so look at, so, so basically, sorry, um, I should have had one more thing here, which is, oh, I could have left it there, I suppose. Um, incarnation. It's just so, and you know car, carne, like if you speak Spanish, but, or if you have, le- carnation is flesh, right? So going into, going into flesh, that's the big deal. And that's what you're supposed to be telling, but actually, in just a second, I'll just push ahead. It's going to be all about living. So we'll see what that looks like. Okay, verse 2. I'm just, and here's the thing. This is why sometimes people will encourage you to um, read big chunks of Scripture. And actually, that's okay. I know, I know a number of people in the congregation who have. Have you seen the, this Bible that divides um, the whole Bible into chunks, 365 days? You read the whole thing in a year? You've got to read a lot. I mean, there's some big, big chunks. It's nice to do that. But the other thing is, is, you know, we've been 20 minutes, we've just read one verse. Why is that? Because there's just a lot of stuff jammed in here. This is beautiful stuff. He's trying to love you. Our theme is the word of life. This life was made visible. Now he's going to say it all again, Carol. This life was made visible, incarnation, right? Good, three times, exactly. We have seen it, and we bear our testimony. We here declare to you, there it is, the eternal life, and now it's not just talking about you have eternal life, which dwelt with the Father and was made visible to us. That's John chapter 1. So what are you telling people about? You're actually telling people about, this is how it works for you, eternal life that was made visible, but up here, eternal life, this is dwelling with the Father, and he doesn't say it, but with the Holy Spirit as well. The Spirit hovers over the water. So look, it's all about Christ. Everything, this is paradise, right? This is Eden. And that all gets delivered to you. It gets distilled down, sort of condensed, kind of full, you know, full potency. That gets delivered to you in the flesh of the manger and the cross and the Eucharist. So basically, your life as a Christian your whole life, this is the center of your whole life. This is why we make such a big deal about not just Christ, but Christ on the cross, Christ in the Eucharist. This is the center of life. And you should see all this in just two verses. He's, he's, he's an old guy who's writing to churches that he's you know, pastored off and on for years. And he's, he comes to him and says, you know what's important in your life? This is what's important in life. God was always there. God loved you enough to take flesh. We've seen it, we've talked about it, we've touched it, we've given it to you. It's all yours. Here we go. Make sense? This is what the church is supposed to be. This is just this constant, you know, re-delivery of, of Christ in the flesh. Yes, please. Right, this is what the apostles did. And you know what? Um, I'm going to just, I want to look at the, um, we've seen and we have, yeah, it's just, you know, I think it's um, I think it's the apostolic tradition. This is what apostles do. They give this stuff out for you. It's not an us and them. It's a we as a gift. This is what we have been told to do. Although, hey, hey. First person after four. Yeah, it is. It's we all the way through. Yeah, I think um, I think it's kind of uh, often you'll find in the pastoral epistles they talk this way to the congregations. You have to remember, often these letters, this is the sermon for the day. So he'd send a letter, and they would read this. The reason you know that is often you have um, not in this one, but in several of the letters it says greet one another with the kiss of peace, which means um, 
it's time to go to the Eucharist now. You remember this, right? This is from Matthew where it says if you have something against your brother at the altar, square up. Don't go to the Eucharist until you do that. And they used to do that in the early church by giving each other a kiss. We've reduced that to a handshake. But it would be very interesting if it was a kiss. I mean, it's like not, not like a big sloppy kiss on the lips at the drive-in. It's the way young Bittlingmeyer kissed her wife at the altar when they were married. You know, it's just always my instruction to the bride and groom. Kiss her, not like you're at the movies. That's always my instruction. Um, it was, it, you know, it's a gentle Middle Eastern kiss. Do you have Middle Eastern relatives? Do you have European relatives? You never know which, there you, the Greeks, they dance, they kiss. Yeah, you, you never know which cheek to put forward first. Or this great thing where um, the Chancellor of Germany is a woman, Merkel, and, you know, Sarkozy's the Prime Minister of France. She hates it when he kisses her on both cheeks which is the French way of showing kind of, so he does it just to spite her. The French and the Germans, they just can't. It's, it's the best thing. If you ever watch the news, he comes up to her and there's always this pause, and then he leans forward, he kisses her on both cheeks, and you can just see, she hates it. She's told her, but she hates it. So he does it just to tweak her, because she's French and he's German, right? And the only time the English and the French agree is when they're both hating the Germans. It's a beautiful thing, the Euro, so stick with it, all right? Um, but anyway, it would be, Here's the thing, if you could kiss somebody on the cheek um, and say, you know, I love you, that would be, I made, maybe before I die we'll actually see that. It would, wouldn't it be a fascinating thing if everybody really did have to say, I love you to everybody else before we went to the Eucharist? Do you know, in the early church, I mean, there's a famous story, one of the best famous stories. I've told you this before, I'm sure, but you remember there's this famous story in the early church. Well, you remember how it worked in the early church at the Eucharist. Um, the priest would prepare, and then he would come to the first person and say, peace be with you. And this is where peace be with you comes, to peace be with you and also with you. And then you would give it to the next person, and you give it to the next person. The priest would actually wait until it went all the way around the room came back to him. And there's this very famous story from about 600 A.D. or so. Right back there, it stopped. Those two women, black and the orange, they stood up. It's actually two men, interestingly. But they wouldn't shake each other's hands. And the whole congregation just stood and waited. We're not going anywhere. Mueller's up there on the bench practicing something else with the headphones on. And he didn't, you know, it was just like, finally the priest comes down from the altar and talks to him. This is interesting. Face to face. Get it all out. Don't go to the altar. Just like Jesus said. And everybody's just waiting around like, hey, this is the most important thing we got going today, so we'll just wait. And finally they reconcile with each other. They kiss each other. He comes back to the front. Then it keeps going. Comes back to him. So the last person should say, Peace be with you and also with you, which means we're doing it just like Jesus said. If your brother has anything against you, you know the alternatives to this. What are the alternatives to this? Get mad and leave and never come back. Have a big fight. You've maybe even been in the situation, maybe even in this congregation, where there's somebody that really hates you. What do they do when it's time to shake hands? Yeah, they shake hands with the person on the other side. You've seen this, right? I'm not making this up, you know. I've often thought there were, I've often, from time to time, there have been times when I thought, the only thing that's prevented me from coming into the congregation is the embarrassment of the person to whom I'd single out. And that would be too cruel a punishment. And so, you know, I split the difference there, but I'll have to speak to the Lord about that someday. Right. That's right. And who's the father of lies? The devil. But good, you've gone right to the heart of it. Actually, that's actually the next place I want to get to. So hold on to that, and let's read our way into that, okay? So hold your point. It's a very good point. So the question, let me rephrase the question if I can, or put it this way. What do you do if you know this is happening? So we, we concentrate on integrity, or actually you answered the next question I was going to ask, which is you concentrate on light. And then what do you do if there's still darkness? It makes you a liar, and you're not supposed to go to the Eucharist. Okay, so let's just, because we have text for that. Matthew 5, if your brother has something against you, don't go to the altar. Leave your gift at the altar, go square up, then you come back, the Eucharist will be there waiting for you. Okay, that's one text. The other text is, how do light and darkness fit together? So let's read this. I'm, it's a very interesting text. This is actually, thank you very much for this, this is actually what I meant by, when I said initially, read with some, some sophistication. Okay, so first, see what John is trying to say. You're put into this big incarnational thing. The other word that's really nice here is the word in common. He regularly says, this is what we have in common or live in common. So basically, you live gathered around the incarnation, okay? But now watch, this is, it's, it's absolutely diagnostic here for the Christian life. 
But first, okay, so this is very important. What you have seen and heard we declare to you. Um, I just want to look at something. All right. What you have seen we declare to you so that you and we together may share in the common life. Anybody want to guess what that word is? It is koinonia. Who said that big show off? Yeah, that's good. So koinonia, that's great. It is koinonia. And what's, so the Greek word is koinonia. It comes into abpressia, Latin, and then into English. What does it come into Latin and English as? You all know this, actually. Just comes into, comes into Latin as communio, and that comes into English as communion, as in holy communion. This is the word for the Lord's Supper. See how, how cool this is? So you can translate this. You're not wrong to translate this as, we've seen and heard and declare this to you so that you and we together may share in koinonia, a common life. But everybody already knows the way that you're put together in a common life is by being at the Eucharist. It's 1 Corinthians 10. Jesus puts his own body into each one of you, and then when you look up, you recognize and say, hey, you've got the same thing in you that I have in me. We belong to each other. What makes the church common, what makes the church a community, is that Jesus puts his body, blood, forgiveness, life into you. He puts his body, blood, forgiveness, life into me. That makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. He builds the community by what he gives to us. See, this is all going on in this text. This is later stuff. Everybody knows this. Or he's kind of, he's dinging people again saying, hey, you know this. We told you this. We touched it. We showed it to you. You heard about it. It puts you into koinonia, into that life we share and now back this, with the Father and the Son. So here's the thing. You go to the Eucharist, you get the cross, right? You get the flesh and blood, you get the incarnation, you get the divine life. See how that works? And everybody who's hearing this hears this. He's, he's basically saying, hey, we did this in the new members class. You remember this? We did this in the members class. It's all about Jesus. That's all about creation. It's all about taking word. It's all about going to the cross. It's all about giving you the Eucharist. That's what puts you together. So far, six verses, five, four verses, you got this great church going on. There's no trouble so far. There's no trouble so far because everybody's in the Eucharistic life. Okay, draw a breath because it's just about to go bad. Yes, please. Why does the word <coughs> because that's the next extension of, and you're, you're a Lutheran from way back, so you grew up with the words communion fellowship or altar and pulpit fellowship. It's the next extension of the word communion. If you say, what's communion? You're in communion with somebody. That's not even a word we use anymore, really, right? But communion meant fellowship or the same family or that's my friends or we agree. Those are all ways of saying. That makes sense? So when we talk about altar and pulpit fellowship, what that really means is people always say, well, I'm not in fellowship with you. No, no, it's altar and pulpit fellowship. It means if our two altars talk, they would agree or they wouldn't agree, right? And we've done that a gazillion times. So fellowship means we're the same stuff. We're common. This, it's this glorious thing. Rejoice in the life that you have in common. You know, where does your common stuff come from? Why are you and I the same? We're baptized with the same name, so we have the same name, and the same body and blood. It's like when you think about kids, people say, that's my flesh and blood. You'd say that about your kids or your grandkids, right? That's my flesh and blood. More important than that is, you'd say that about each other. You're Jesus' flesh and blood. Is it baptism? Uh, yes, of course. Oh, absolutely. You know why? Because at baptism, you get the name. That's why when you're sick or upstairs, we just prayed for your daughter, Anna Marie. Why do we pray that name? That's her baptismal name. That's why we don't use the last names upstairs. Bruzek isn't the big name. The name is you, that you get at baptism. Right? Make sense? So it's your baptismal name. That's the name that Jesus knows you by. Okay. Yes, please. Thank you. So there is this proclaimed word, and the, the proclaimed word, preaching, teaching, or even you saying to Betty, I really love you in Christ. I really love you. Okay. That changes us and puts us together. The only thing I want to do is I want to tighten up the connection between word with a small w and word with a big w and now, and not let there be any, 
too often there's this distinction between word and sacrament. That's actually not, in fact, at the pastor's conference this week, one of the questions was about whether you should have the Eucharist every Sunday. And then there were folks who said, well, if you just have the word, that's enough. But, of course, my side of that would be, no, I know you're not. I know you're not. I, I, so I'm trying to push these. What, what I want to, what I'd always, I would suggest that word and sacrament, the way Lutherans have always talked about it, probably isn't very good. You should probably say word sacrament. Because there's no, in fact, this is what Pastor Gating's dissertation, all 299 pages, is on. That there's no, that, th- that, there's, that these two things are the same. Actually, that the word, the spoken word, is sacramental. That's his whole dissertation. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, and so I just always want to just, so I think you're right. Because I just, when I hear the preached word, what am I doing? I'm preaching Jesus right into your ear. Jesus in the manger, Jesus, the same Jesus. Absolutely, because it's Jesus. Now, see, I, uh, interesting. No, no, you're not. Although I would have diagnosed it just differently. So she said, you know, we know the Eucharist is powerful, but sometimes we don't recognize the power of the preached word. See, my diagnosis of Lutherans would normally be they're all about the power of the preached word, but the Eucharist. They don't see. So that's actually kind of a nice thing for me because then maybe we've leaned too far. See, I love you. Um, maybe we've leaned too far in the Eucharistic direction and maybe we need to say a little more about the preached word so that you feel that. But naturally in this area, what people feel, people are all about the word. If you talk to any Christian in Wheaton, they're all about the word, the word, the word. Absolutely. But, but they're not. All I want to, to do is those things to be equal because it's the same Jesus. If you, when you read this text, when I read this text to you out loud, it's put in the little manger inside your ear, right? And that's the same thing that happens when you go to the Eucharist. The manger is put on your tongue, right? It's the same thing. Don't let them fight with each other, and you weren't. I'm not saying that. I just want to always just really embrace those things as the same. The eternal word, spoken word. Word made flesh. There is no other thing. See, here's the thing. This is the word not yet made flesh. Extraordinarily powerful. And talking to each other. But that word is no different than this word. It's the same word. Now it's hidden under bread and wine. Now it's on the cross. Now it's in the manger. It's just the same one. So we get it wrong when we sort of push those things apart. And we get, I even don't like it when we print the service out and it says the service of the word, the service of sacrament. Because it doesn't, like the whole thing is the service of the word and the sacrament. Think of the road to Emmaus. Jesus is the sacrament. He's walking down. Look, the, ro- the, the road to Emmaus, you remember this on Easter night? So he's walking with them. And what's, what does he do? He tells them, he explains the scriptures. That's the word. But he is the word. And then he breaks the bread. That's the sacrament. But he is the sacrament. So it's just all happening at once. Go ahead. That's where I'm going. No, it's not a metaphor at all. So I got six whole minutes, but that's where we'll start next time, okay? So just, but I just want to get this straight because here's the thing. <coughs> the next thing that's going to be really, unhappen- really important is that this is order and light as opposed to Genesis 1, darkness and chaos, right? So in the beginning, in the beginning, the spirit's hovering over the waters, everything is dark, chaotic, <laughs> crazy. But this is light, and the light brings order. So you have to see that from the very first line of scripture. There's a difference between light and order and darkness and chaos. Now, <coughs> here's the message we heard from him and pass on to you. So this is always a good thing to say, which is, I'm at verse 5. I didn't make this up. Okay? Um, so I didn't make this up. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And that's probably enough to do for the rest of the class. Because here's... So now we'll, we'll play guess what I'm thinking, okay? Which you should be used to because that's what your teachers did your whole life in school. But guess what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, there's an answer and only I have it. Guess what it is. Uh, no. Um, I, but I did try to lead you there by saying, so the first couple of verses I wanted you to read with some sophistication. Sophistication meant... It didn't mean that you had, you know, 17th century French furniture in your house. It meant that you were able to connect the dots. So I wanted you to connect all the dots, connect all these dots up here, okay. But then, the practicality. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So, 
how is that practical? Can you tell me how that's practical? I don't even know how to ask this question because I want to say something, but I don't want to say it in front of you. I want you to see if you can sort it through. What's the most practical application of that? That God is light and him, in him there's no darkness at all. What's the most practical application of that? Thank you. So this community put together by the Eucharist, centered around the word, around order, around let there be light and there was light. And there was evening and morning the first day. Okay, you getting all this? So let there be light, there was light, evening and morning the first day. So, I'll press you a little bit. So in the most practical sense, what does that mean about life? Thank you. Go ahead, keep going. Good. So now, this sounds almost like second grade Sunday school class, but I'll just ask you. You can sort your whole life by light and darkness. Okay, so this is as simple as Christianity gets. What's in the light is the way of Jesus and truth. What's in the darkness is the way of lies and Satan. Okay, so just push that apart. Now give me practical examples of light and darkness. What would you say? Give me some examples of darkness. Come on, this is easy. It's like falling off a log. Good. So anytime you talk about somebody behind their back, that's darkness. Now that's not very hard, is it? Evilly. Unkindly. Yes, anytime you're doing anything you don't want your mother to know about. <laughs> Although the thing is, is that would put your mother at sort of a higher level than Jesus. Although I do know some mothers who... No, that's actually... So, so that's very nicely said. I mean, this is a very practical way of saying it. Exactly, because you say... Uh, this is how you talk to kids, you talk to other people. Would you, would you do that in front of your mother? Right? Do you kiss your mother with those lips? Come on. Right? So, so it is, so, okay, so this is, the, so, so here's the thing. If something is done, so let's just, the first one we'll take is just gossip. If you're saying something bad about somebody, not to their face. So just what Jesus says, if I've got something bad to say to you, Carol, you did this and it's really, that's exactly the prescription. That's in the light. See, and this is, what's really interesting is that people don't, I struggle with this so much, and it, even as a pastor, and this is just sort of our, paucity at being Christians, but I come to you and I say, Carol, that broke a commandment and it's really evil. How do you feel? Be honest, how do you feel? What's your first reaction? What's your very first reaction? You're hurt. Your very first reaction is hurt. Even if you own up to it, your very first reaction. If you come to me and say, you lied about me, my very first reaction is hurt for one of two reasons. One is, um, let's presume I did it. So one of them is, is I'm better than that. I shouldn't have done it. That hurts. Or the other is, you caught me, and that hurts. Okay. Now here's the problem. Often, who's who's the bad person in that interchange? I would. Well, I was confronting you. <laughs> That's exactly right, Carol. I think I set it up in a way that I would look good. Okay. Let's not lose that. Let's not lose that. Uh, possibility, okay? If I come to you and I say, Carol, you shouldn't have lied about me. You feel bad. What do, who's normally? What do we normally say? How dare he talk to me like that? You're so mean. That's often what's said. So I say something. Let's presume in this case. I know this is a long shot, but let's presume I was right and you were wrong. We often say, you're so mean. And why do we say you're so mean? Because I, I feel bad. So now suddenly we're judging everything by feelings rather than by Light and order and the and what it what it is what the bite bite we're not judging according to Christ we're judging according to me. The next verses are going to say I'm darkness. If you deny your sin, you're darkness. That's what the next. That's what the rest of the chapter says. We're not going to get all the way there. So see, partly the so here's here's the most. This is just so easy. If it happens in the light, you can be pretty sure that it's the way of Jesus. If it happens in the darkness, so somebody says to you, 
I hate Jeanette. Really? I'm so mad. I shouldn't have put your whole name on the tape. So Jeanette, asterisk, block that out, Mary. I, if I come to you and say, I hate Jeanette, and you say, really, why is that? Even if I say, she's so horrible, but I just can't tell you. Already, or, or I'll they give you even a better response? Holy cow, let's go see Jeanette right now. Because you're already screwed up, Matthew 18. You're already at point number two. You're supposed to go to her first, but clearly I'm too stupid to do that. So what you should say is, you should help me be a Christian, which is, <laughs> let's have coffee with Jeanette right now. Matt now, for you French speakers. Okay, so here's the thing. Nobody ever does it. But, but what's happened is, if I say to you, I hate Jeanette, she's horrible, but I can't tell you the details. What's happened? I've already ruined her. That is, that is darkness. And your response is, right, you need to go see him right now, and I'll go with you if you're too weak to do that. I wasn't too weak to talk to you about it. Apparently, I'm too weak to talk to, because what do I like to do? I like to stay in the shadows. Because why do I like to stay in the shadows? I can get some very good work done, right? And when I do that really good work, what happens to the community? The universe, as it explodes, you know, gets darker and colder, right? See how this is? You see how practical this is? But you can only do it if you understand this. So here's, here's what you understand. And once you understand this, you just go through your life. One of the simplest things to do is sort darkness and light. Now, you can't do it on your own. You have to sort it according to the word. You sort it, sort it according to the Ten Commandments. It's not on your feelings. It's this is dark according to the Ten Commandments. And if you don't do that, you know what happens? What happens? Everybody gets cranky, they stop coming, they stop coming to the Eucharist, everybody gets bent, blah, 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 right? So your goal is to live in the light and shed light on things. Help people to be, as scriptures say, children of light and not the sons of darkness or sons of men, right? Isn't that easy? <laughs> exactly right, it's not easy at all. Yeah, because if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. Right? It's right there. It's coming right up. Okay, so it's not easy. Let me rephrase very cleverly. It is simple. It is simple. It's simple, but it's not easy. Right? It's very simple. I just, so I'm just going to give you homework. We're done, but uh, you know, we'll come back to this next week. I'm just going to give you this homework. And don't do it in a na-na-na-na way, okay? <laughs> but I'm just saying, just observe in the next week. Just observe light and observe darkness. You believe me, you're not going to have to travel far for this, okay? By noon, you'll have a plate full. Just observe in yourself first and in other people. Observe light and observe darkness. Just observe it. Just look at it. When people talk to you, ask yourself, is this light or darkness? When you speak, ask yourself, is it light or darkness? The test case is, let's just take the net. The test case for light is whether I'll go be in the light. That's the test case. The, the, the test case is, do you, if that's so, is, and then people say, oh, I couldn't possibly do that, or I'm afraid of what might happen, or somebody might hurt me, or this is too risky for me. Well, it's like, then you have to shut up, A. Or B, if you're stronger, if you're weak, you just have to shut up. And B, if you're stronger, you have to get stronger and get some help and sort it out. Because otherwise, what happens to the community? Fracture. And it no longer lives in order and light. Isn't this easy? No, it's simple. Isn't this simple? So I give you that as your homework for next week. Diagnose yourself first and diagnose others and then um, see what happens. So this is, this is kind of very gentle, but it is, it's kind of the graduate course on being a Christian. It's very gentle, right? You can judge. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's false to say that we don't judge in the church. With the judgment you judge, you will be judged. So what's the judgment you'd like to be judged with? The word of Christ. Exactly. Justice and mercy of Christ. So you judge things according to the Ten Commandments. If we never judged, we wouldn't be able to say, that's a lie, or that's spousal abuse, or that's, you know, stealing. You have to, you judge. The, the, rule, the rule, judge not and you'll not be judged. So no personal judgment. And the judgments you give will be the judgments you receive. So what you should say is, wow, Jesus' judgment for me, which is damned according to the Ten Commandments, judge righteous according to the cross. I'll have both ends of that, please. So it doesn't mean we don't judge. It means that we judge with the judgment of Jesus. 
Because the very first thing that happens in creation is the separation of darkness and light. They're not mixed. They're not the same. There's light and there's darkness. When you're a Christian, you live in the light in the Word incarnate, right? Okay, well that, and that's a different, so that's a, actually discernment is a different thing. So we can talk about, if you can make a note, we come back to that. The difference is judgment is according to Jesus' words. Discernment is figuring out what thing, does this thing belong to the seventh commandment or the third commandment? That's discernment. Or maybe it doesn't belong to it, or, and actually this, I'm going to go back to your first question because I didn't answer it, which is, this is a very important question, which is how much light can people stand? You've been to the dentist when they pull that big light. They show you their new light they got that's really bright and hot, and they pull it right up to your face like this. You're going like, I'll need that to see your teeth, you know? How much light can you stand? So you can break people with too much light, which is why Jesus comes in flesh, humbly as a servant, suffering. Because if Jesus showed you who he was by nature, what would happen? Burn you to crisp. You'd be like looking at a laser beam. Boom. Right? Does this all make sense? I mean, this is, now you know all this, but my question is, if you read six verses of John tonight, first John before you go to bed, would you see all this? My answer is, I think you'd see a lot of it. I want you to see it. That's what it says, okay? Just kind of think about that. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that is sometimes why we go backwards into it. So, you know, Pastor Ganig wasn't outside the scriptures the last couple weeks. It's just that he started with that picture of the adulteress, and he just worked you backwards. This is just the same thing. He's like, what do you see, light or dark? He was just sorting. He was just working backwards into it. Because when oh, you walked up, no, I agree. I'm agreeing with you. Oh, I completely agree. Because even, oh, I agree. Even, I was just and adding on. Too. Even this too, this is just another thing. Because this is what you see walking down the street in some iteration, right? So he was, just, he was just starting with a practical thing and moving you back. I'm just taking the text and moving you forward. It's the same thing. You're exactly right. I couldn't agree more. So yeah. Right. No, right, and, and it's partly why you get with your friends and do it, too. I do it with the other pastors, too, all the time. I mean, we're always sort of like, hey, what the heck does this mean? Or what, what do you, how do you read this? Or what's going on there? Everybody does it. I mean, you know it says in the scriptures, um, scripture is not a matter of private interpretation. What that means is if you do it all yourself, you're sure to get it wrong. It's meant as a communal, a churchly. It's a gift to the church, the scriptures. You do, oh, you, you read, you get ready, absolutely. But, and this is my same with thing, so I'll give you the same as word and sacrament. I couldn't agree more. You're just saying hold all these things together. Just hold it all together, right? All right, so we're just going to keep going. Um, you can read the rest of, you can think about it. You can observe some things. Um, you can make some distinctions. We probably won't do more than the rest of the first chapter, but um, anyway, we'll have fun with that. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.